Rocky Mountain at 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. Rocky Mountain at 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Hello, it's Grant Cameron here with the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm putting up all my files, my UFO files, 13 archives boxes, on the internet. And as I was uh, scanning the stuff... Um, before destroying the paper files, I noticed there was a couple of interesting files I was coming across that um, I've never really made public and they've never really been made public by anybody else. So I decided that what I would do is I would read a couple of the files into the record on the Consciousness Podcast just to put them on the record before I destroy the files. Um, I was good friends with uh, Bob Pratt back in the 1970s. Bob Pratt was a reporter for the National Enquirer, and um, he had the advantage of being a reporter, made a lot of money, was a very good reporter, had been uh, cherry-picked by the National Enquirer from a another newspaper. And Bob made a lot of money, and he also had a huge budget. He was able to investigate any UFO case he wanted, jump on a plane, go and investigate it. And he came to uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada in 1975 to investigate the the sightings that were happening in Charlie Red Star uh, sightings in Carmen. And these I put in a book called Tales of Charlie Red Star. So Bob came here and then he came back in 1976 to do another story because the sightings continued into 1976. But when he was here, he was off doing other stories. He would fly out and come back in. And so the story I want to do today deals with uh, Bob Pratt's engagement with the Canadian government. Uh, He was not shy about encountering people and confronting government officials. So I want to read today um, two reports. One is an interview that he did with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, which is the federal police force here in Canada. And the other interview he does is with uh, the press liaison officer for the Department of Defense in Canada. Now, these interviews occurred in 1976, and I'll basically read them uh, for people who are interested in the Canadian government disclosure and what was going on here. The person that um, Bob was interviewing with the... um, Rokinayaman police was a Sergeant Ron Henry. He was the press liaison officer for the Rokinayaman police, and he was at the national headquarters in Ottawa, Canada. 
and the interview took place on August the 3rd, 1976. And it reads as follows. As you are aware, we report these sightings of unidentified flying objects to the National Research Council. And our instructions are that if we notified them immediately by telex, giving pertinent data, such as time, place, date, identify the observers, the location, the identity of other people who may have observed it, descriptive data as obtained from the, the observers, the duration of the observation and any other relevant data. And then we're to carry on a follow-up investigation and submit a report to the National Research Council. Now the investigation implies taking statements from witnesses, the preservation of any physical evidence that may exist, you know, the evidence in the police sense of the word. That's the summary. So Bob Pratt asks him, is there any uh, specified time on the follow-up? So Henry replies, well, we attempt to follow up on all our investigations with all the dispatches. That is consistent with the workload on the situation. That's the way we handle all our investigations. So Pratt asks him, do you have any specific on on the kind questions to ask witnesses? Does it specify UFOs, first of all? So Henry answers back. It says unidentified flying objects with no implications of extraterrestriality. Pratt asks him, Well, don't pass, these don't pass through the Royal Canadian Mounted Police headquarters, do they? These reports? Henry replies, They wouldn't pass normally through at this level. At the supervisory divisional level, there may be some interest. So he's asked, do you get any such statistics on these reports? Henry answers, no, as far as I'm aware, we don't have any record of specific category of investigations on UFO reports. They go in the whole bag. So proud asking. So you wouldn't know whether they get 50 a year or 100 sightings a year? No. Brad Asin, do you have any idea how long the Royal Canadian Mounted Police has been doing this? Henry replies, no, I don't really. I'd be guessing if I gave you a date. A date. Date. Brad asks, has the Royal Canadian Mounted Police always turned its reports into the National Research Council, or have they previously gone to the Defense Department or anything like that? Henry answers, no, I don't know that. Next question is, your officers get pretty rigorous training. One of them explained to me that he had to go through what he had to go through to become an officer. Is there anything in the training school that pertains to the UFO subject? Henry replies, to my knowledge, it does not form part of the curriculum. No doubt in the instructions that they receive in our operational manuals, these instructions form a part. But as far as specific instructions on UFOs, I'm not aware of it. Pride Asim. What do you mean by instruction manual? And the reply is operations manual. Proud asks, is this, is this pretty much where you got the information you gave me just now? The answer was yes, yes. Proud asks, now I understand that I gave you is not a verbatim reading. It is merely a summary. The second is an interview that Bob Pratt did with... Uh, Captain Barry uh, Fruver, press liaison officer at the Department of National Defense in Ottawa. And the captain gives the opening statement. In brief, 
prior to 1968, when the National Research Council took over the collection of UFO reports, the Director of Operations Staff here at Headquarters endeavored to classify UFO reports from the field. That's from any base or stations across Canada that are stations where sightings occur. They classify them into two main categories. One was information, category one, of, inf of phenomena that are associated with fireballs and meteors. Then category two, information that does not conform to the physical patterns associated with fireballs or meteor activity. Now under the category one, reports that are classified in this refer to the Director for Scientific Coordination for Evaluation. In addition, copies of the report were made available to the National Research Meteorite Center and to a named representative of the province in which the sighting was made. Now, reports which were classified under Category 2 were studied by operations staff, who either placed the report on the UFO file with an annotation that further investigation was not warranted, or they initiated action to have the report investigated by a military officer. So, it was handled then at a local level. Full investigation was done on the incident. Okay, so to take the witness reports, check electronic communications devices, see whether anything appeared on radar, etc. At that time, they found no evidence that had been discovered that would suggest a threat to national security. That's really from all the UFO sightings that had taken place. That was what was determined. Then, as you well know, the U.S. authorities reached a similar conclusion that no evidence indicated a threat to national security. And that being the case, they recommended it to be turned over to was turned over to another government body. From our end, it was the National Research Council. Cried Asim. When was that specifically? And the captain replied, I can read from this letter to you, which officially turns the files over to the National Research Council. It was from Mr. Bud Drury, head of the Ministry of Industry at the time to Leo Cadieu, the Minister of Defense, in, De in February 1968. He says, My dear colleague, subject to your concurrence, I can now confirm that the National Research Council has agreed to act as a repository of reports of unidentified flying objects. Therefore, if you agree your existing file of such reports, such as any which may be received in the future, or as any that have been received by your you in the future may be forwarded to the Radio and Electrical Engineering Division of the National Research Council. Your department should re retain any reports which it is felt should be kept classified for reasons of national security. Investigations by the National Research Council, if any, of these reports will depend on the degree of scientific investigation in each case. Officials of your department and of the National Research Council have collaborated on similar examinations in the past, and their continued cooperation will be most appreciated. So then, in the spring of 1968, their files started to be turned over to the National Research Council. To date, it is, as you probably got from McNamara, the Hertzberg Institute, at the Hertzberg Institute, who is now charged with checking into any UFO investigations that may be required. So from the field, any sightings that are reported to any of our stations or bases, it will be passed to the National Defense Headquarters, which then just re-forwards them directly to the Hertzberg Institute. 
Pradasa. Going back to that part about retaining reports, any clarification on that? The captain replies, only in the sense that if in the reporting it talks about classified matters at a particular base or station, for instance, if a radar operator is working on a particular frequency or channel frequency, which is classified itself, that information will be scrutinized by people who are at headquarters to be sure that we are aware this information was included in the report. So, as the matter of security there, as a way of being able to control that information, so we would retain that information in our own files. Brad asks, how long have the Canadian forces been integrated? The captain replies, in 1964 it was decided that there would be an integrated service policy where administrative heads within the three forces would become an inter integrated force so that there wouldn't be any duplication in some of the services that were being provided and so that everyone could share them. Then in 1967 the unification policy came in where ever, everybody wore the same uniforms. Just a note here that in discussions I had with Paul Hellyer about his uh, time at the National Defense as the head of Minister of National Defense, I asked him about seeing UFO reports and he said that there were some uh, UFO reports that came across his desk but that he was mostly concerned with his unification of the military and that he uh, didn't see UFOs as being very important at the time. Pratt asked the question, I was curious, was the Air Force in charge of UFOs before 1964? The captain answers, yeah. Let me give you some background on UFOs and see if that helps. It says, reading from various pieces of material, he's reading as he's talking to Pratt. In the early 1950s, scientific communi communities were set up both in Canada and the United States under the defense auspices to investigate UFO reports. Following several years of study, both committees were able to explain all but a few percentage of the many thousands of reports made. The American scientific community concluded its investigation by stating that evidence presented on UFOs show no indication that these phenomena constitute a direct threat to the national security and recommended the national security agencies take immediate steps to strip the UFOs of the special status they had been given and the aura of mystery that they had unfortunately acquired. Although not formally stated, the Canadian Scientific Committee arrived at the same conclusions. Since that time, UFO reports referred to the Department of National Defense have been studied by interested staffs and as warranted investigations have been made. Unusual aerial sightings referred to the Department of National Defense for action have followed a varied career. At one time, the Air Defense Command was the military agent most concerned with UFO reports. Prior to the spring of 1966, the Director of Intelligence Coordination, Department of National Defense, took action on UFO reports. Brad asks, do you have any statistics on UFOs? The captain replies, this is the unfortunate thing. When we turned our files over, we turned everything over other than some files that had particular reference to some other military activity which we retained ourselves. All the voluminous material had been turned over to the National Research Council. We do have some files under the Department of National Defense control 
and there are probably some in the archives. We do have a number of files still under Department of National Defense control. Brought us. Any special reason for that? The captain replies, well, they have some correspondence which has been continued up to present. We would have to check into that why they weren't turned over. The bulk of the files were, and some were retained under Department of National Defense control. Now, in some cases, those files there are witness reports that at the time an affidavit was signed stating that the names of the witnesses, that they wouldn't retain their anonymity. Generally, files are not open to the public, but under a study is underway to see what can be opened under conditions similar to those in force at the National Research Council. Pratt asked them, do the Canadian forces still collect UFO reports such as, and then he references the Falcon Bridge radar tracking and jets being scrambled on the 11th, the 11th of 1975. And this is the same time in the United States when all the nuclear missiles were being interfered with at uh, Maltram and at Minot and at Wordsworth and at Loring Air Force Base. So it was the same time there was a sighting at the Falcon Bridge radar tracking station on the Canadian side. Uh, I know you get a report, said Pratt. Yeah, we would get a report and that would go to the National Research Council as well. Anything we would classify as an unidentified flying object. As a matter of course, depending on the particular report, we would do our own ground investigation, taking down time sometime as to what was noted on radar. Full report on activities that followed that. Any description of what the particular object on the radar was doing and all of this would be compiled and then sent to the National Research, the National Defense Operations Center, which would in turn turn that information over to the National Research Council. So you'll find that all current reports the National Research Council would have. So Pratt asked him, in that particular, particular case, he's referring to Falcon Bridge. The base notified NORAD headquarters in Colorado Springs. The captain answered yes. And they would notify you as well, wouldn't they? The answer was yes, they would. Headquarters. The question. The decision to send two jets up was made, I believe, and I was told, at Duluth at the regional headquarters. The captain replied, NORAD regional headquarters, right. They have two channels of communication primarily involved in the defense as part of the NORAD chain. So they would get their immediate operational direction from NORAD headquarters and then the appropriate region, you know, being able to scramble or not. So Pratt asked him, and you would classify this as, well, a UFO or an unknown report? The answer was yes. Pratt asked, and in the sense, do you collect UFO reports? Defense, Department of National Defense collect UFO reports? The answer, in that sense, okay taking it right down to the local level. If we have a farmer that sees something out in the field and he can't explain it, very likely he would. Well, he's supposed to report that to the local RCMP, which would which would then file that report directly to the National Research Council. At times, though, because we at the Department of National Defense seem like the obvious people to be concerned with it, 
because stations do receive reports from the field. We would then check back over radar sightings or any intelligence that we would have to indicate that it was a UFO or something unexplainable. Certainly. But in that regard, all the information would be noted and then in turn, in normal channels, we would send it up to Ottawa again, a yes, and to the National Research Council. Pratt asks, to your knowledge, was there any exchange of UFO data between Canada and the United States or other, any other countries? The answer was, to my knowledge, I don't know. I can only assume there was. Certainly through the NORAD chain, where the defense of North America has been a mutual effort between Canada and the United States. So certainly any reports picked up by our NORAD stations across Canada would be filed not only with Ottawa, but filed through the states. So they would have certain reports, identical information. Pratt asks the captain, have you ever talked to your counterpart, counterparts at the Pentagon? He answers, not personally, no. Pratt then asks, I have, a number, I have talked to people at the Pentagon a number of times, and they will check out certain things for me but they absolutely refuse to discuss UFOs. The people I have talked to feel that they, if they discuss it, they are acknowledging that UFOs exist. And the captain replies, Oh no, we certainly just, the classification of UFO, it's an unidentified flying object. And if we can't explain it, we'll take it down the information to the best of our knowledge and then turn it over to the investigative body, now the National Research Council, which we'd hope to then take and follow up action if necessary. That's the report for today. The next one I'm going to do is a spectacular case of triangles of earth that were pulled out of the ground in 1976 in Ontario. And that is part of the theory of wow. Thank you for listening. Hope you join me again sometime soon. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.